It's the Adam Ritz Show, a social awareness talk show touching on fellowship, leadership, philanthropy, and more. Adam hosts the show on location from coast to coast, interviewing college students, student athletes, campus administrators, professional athletes, and social experts about social issues ranging from bullying to Twitter and everything in between. And now, it's your social awareness radio host, Adam Ritz. The Adam Ritz Show is live on campus today with a studio audience in Dallas, Texas. We're on the campus of Southern Methodist University in front of this wonderful live studio audience. Very lively audience. Our guest is... John Hudgens. Hi, John. How are you? Hi, I'm doing very well. Thanks, thanks for having me. I am uh, honored to have you on the show. As the, uh, what is your title with the Interfraternity Council here at SMU? Sure, I'm a VP of Community Service. V- perfect. We highlight a lot of community service and service projects on this uh, social awareness public affairs uh, radio show. What are some of the service projects you're most proud of with your guys here at SMU? Well, we do a lot here at SMU with community service, but uh, one of our bigger events that we've had recently is called Trick or Treat on Greek Street. And uh, that's where we bring in a bunch of young kids from the surrounding area that uh, may have grown up in underprivileged homes. And uh, they come in and they, they get to dress up in costumes and, and go around all the fraternity houses and sorority houses and uh, do a little trick or treating and uh, make them feel you know nice and loved and all that good stuff. Oh, that's great. And you, I'm sure you decorate each fraternity and sorority yeah. house with skeletons and stuff. Exactly. It gets a little scary sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, just a totally unrelated, I guess, question, sort of related. In this world of child obesity and how uh, people are freaking out about that social issue, I guess, is there a, is there a push to hand out apples? Are you pressured <laughs> to hand out pretzels? Or do you, is it just chocolate and Twix bars? Uh, mostly chocolate and Twix bars. <laughs> you know, we, we try and recommend some toothbrushes in there every once in a while, but those, I think those go by the wayside. Well, I'll tell you, speaking uh, on behalf of all children that have ever lived, don't pass out apples or toothbrushes <laughs> for Halloween. All right, John, uh, what else is uh, coming up on the calendar for SMU uh, and the IFC as far as your next service project or uh, maybe fundraiser? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're looking at a lot of uh, options right now. We, we work a lot with uh, the Goodwills around, around SMU and, and a lot of the Meals on Wheels services. And uh, so, yeah, we're just looking at to get out there in the community and see, see what Dallas needs and uh, see what we can offer. Well, you're making Dallas proud. You're making uh, the country proud. We enjoy hearing stories of college men getting involved with their communities and community service. John Hudgens, we uh, appreciate having you on the show. Thanks for having me. And uh, for all the people here at SMU, let's give yourselves one more round of applause. You can catch up with The Adam Ritz Show online. Podcasts of recent shows, including this one, can be found at adamritzshow.com. Like us on Facebook at Facebook slash Adam Ritz Show or follow at Adam Ritz on Twitter. The Adam Ritz Show is on location at the American Football Coaches Association National Convention, and we welcome back a friend of the show, Scott Shirley. Hi, Scott. How are you? Hi, Adam. Great to be here. I'm so glad to uh, not only run into you at this convention. It was pre-planned, I have to admit. We wanted (laughs) to get you on the air to talk about your work with Uplifting Athletes. We've showcased your foundation and charity known as Uplifting Athletes several times on the show before, and we're taking advantage of this uh, awesome 
uh, convention with the American Football Coaches Association, centered and headquartered in Waco, Texas. Yep. Um, I mean, there's big time coaches walking around here, and there's all kind of vendor booths. And you are with um, your own vendor booth with sort of a new, I guess, direction of, of a new part of uplifting athletes. Yeah. You're looking at me like I'm already butchering this, but <laughs> I know I think I'm getting close. Tell us about. Pledge platform and uh, what this does to help young student athletes raise money for charities. It's a it's a really cool story because it started with uplifting athletes and our chapters wanted to find a way to do performance based fundraising. So you know they're already playing games on Saturdays. They wanted to know if they could raise money for scoring touchdowns. And last year we did it with paper and pencil the traditional way. And this year we. Uh, try to find a way to automate it and there wasn't anything on the market that did that so we developed it ourselves and uh we use it with florida state in the national championship game and and the players sent out emails to friends and family and uh they pledged five dollars ten dollars a touchdown you know seminoles.com posts a story on their website and all of a sudden you have a couple hundred fans are pledging money and each touchdown's worth a couple thousand dollars and it's uh it's a lot of fun the players are very aware of the impact that their performance on the field has on the cause that they've chosen to raise money for But through that process, we also felt like, you know, there's every amateur sports team in America has fundraising needs. It doesn't always have to be this overtly charitable cause like Uplifting Athletes is. You know, there's high schools that need to raise money for equipment or for travel or youth teams that want to lower registration costs to create more opportunities for kids. So we spun off Pledge Platform to sell and license independently so it doesn't create confusion with Uplifting Athletes, but it still benefits Uplifting Athletes on the back end and it creates new opportunities for amateur athletes around the, around the country. One thing I appreciate as uh, a father of uh, two kids in junior high is that this sort of charity fundraising has nothing to do with selling cookie dough or wrapping paper. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's not product-based. And and every coach that we've talked to here, when you ask them what type of fundraising they do, they roll their eyes and they say, I'd rather go broke than have to sell more cookie dough. Yeah. You know, and and this is fun because it doesn't have the geographic limitations of product-based fundraising do. So you can email your aunt and uncle, you know. Your, your grandparents, the system's fully automated, fully integrated. So after the game ends, your grandmother's getting an email telling her, you know, that, that her grandson's team won. They beat their rival. They, you know, so it gets the fans and the family more engaged and more involved in the lives of the, of the amateur athletes, too. Performance-based fundraising. And I worked at a radio station years ago where we had a relationship with the field goal kicker of, um, of the local you know, team. And every field goal he made, we three, point field, three points, we would donate $300 to his charity. So same type thing. Each player on each college team is sending out an email yep. saying, how much money would you like to donate for every touchdown our team scores? And, yeah, you got a rich uncle that's going to say, I'll give you 500 bucks for every touchdown you score. And then you score 42 points, look out. Yeah. And it's not, like you said, the concept isn't new, but the technology is. Right. And even in that scenario, if the radio station wants to do that again with a kicker, you can then invite your listeners to join you, and they can pledge a dollar per field goal. And all of a sudden, your $300 leading pledge is turning into a $1,000 total pledge. And, you know, our goal is to talk with some of the players that we have relationships with from uplifting athletes that are currently in the NFL. And in the month of October, ask them to make a leading pledge, say, for every touchdown I throw, I want to give a 1000 bucks to breast cancer. Yeah. And when they tweet that out and say to their fans, hey, join me, click here and make your pledge today. And it could literally be, it could be a quarter, it could be a dollar, it could be five, ten, whatever, you know, whatever works for the individual. But just when you accumulate that over the massive following that these athletes have, they can really make a difference. The massive following, the light bulb is going off, Scott, because 
You're right. The, you know, a, a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback from Florida State. A lot of people follow him and want to engage with him and want to donate five bucks for every touchdown the national champion team scores. Uh, on a local level, a radio station, I'm going to look into this because yeah. a radio station has tens of thousands of listeners, hundreds of thousands of mm-hmm. listeners. And if you can get everybody to donate $1 for a touchdown scored after the game, you could have $200,000 raised. Sure. And the radio station can take a lot of pride in being the catalyst for that. Not I'm a- working on that. I'm I'm emailing you tomorrow and we're going to do this from a media perspective. Yeah. You're doing this from the athlete yeah. and, the, and the college football team mm-hmm. perspective. I want to get on the media end of this and help yeah. you. That would be awesome. Okay, so Scott Shirley's our guest. Uh, you know him as the executive director and founder of Uplifting Athletes, which is real quick. It's a charity raising money for rare disease based on your personal story with your father that you lost about 10 years ago. Uh, did I miss anything? Uh, no, I mean, it's player run. We have about 25 schools around the country now, uh, half the Big Ten, half the ACC, at least one school in every major conference. And uh, it's really a great life skills learning opportunity for them. It's a... It's, uh, um, and I really, most importantly, it's player run. There's not one administrator or paid coach that, that works on this charity. It's the players that do it. Right, and that's even with the Florida State story. It was a kid that transferred from Penn State to Florida State, tore his ACL. He's, he's laying on the rehab table, and the light bulb goes off for him. Hey, I was part of this great organization at Penn State. I'd love to bring it down here to Florida State. So he brought it down to Florida State, and then it was the chapter of uplifting athletes that did the touchdown pledge drive. They, they did the first one against Syracuse, and Jameis Winston runs off the field and high-fives Coach Fisher and says, we're making bank, Coach, because they were raising money for <laughs> Fanconi anemia research in honor of Jimbo's son, Ethan. Right. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. And Uplifting Athletes, is it as simple as upliftingathletes.org? It is, yeah. Okay. Check that out. And now to uh, pledgeplatform.com. Yep. Easy enough. All right. Scott Shirley, always a pleasure having you on the show. We look forward to having you back on. Let's take this sort of radio station local team, maybe to the NFL level, uh, and see how much money we can raise through Pledge Platform for uh, charities with football and scoring and performance-based charities. Check out PledgePlatform.com. Scott, always a pleasure. Scott Shirley, thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Adam. Fellowship, leadership, and philanthropy. Conversations and interviews from all over America. It's the Adam Ritz Show. Continuing uh, on the Adam Ritz Show now, we have a special guest, Mary McLean Rock. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing uh, fantastic, and I'm honored to have you on the broadcast. You are a champion swimmer with Special Olympics. What is your uh, event or series of events, or how many events do you do? Uh, this year I did 25 butterfly, 4 by 25 free relay, and 100 free. Now, I saw you speak on stage to an auditorium full of people to promote Special Olympics, and you did mention that you do not like doing butterfly, but yet you're the champion at it. Yes. And how does that work? Because I've been practicing it with the coach for a while, so he's been changing my butterfly to make me look good on state, on, in the pool. Okay, so butterfly and freestyle, and of those two, your favorite would be freestyle. Now, how do you train for these, uh, for these races? Because I go to practice on Fridays, and we're done with practice till mid-October, and then I will start back up with butterfly and free. And I also, on dry land, I also have a personal trainer that has been helping me get my legs and arms ready for swimming and doing a lot of other stuff. So out of a course of a week, seven days, how, how much do you train? I train. I go to dry land with my personal trainer every Monday and Wednesdays from 3 to 3.30, and then swimming Friday night, 7 to 8 p.m. at Butler's Pool. Now, what advice do you have for me f- for swimming? I enjoy to swim, but I don't like the temperature of the water. I think it's too cold. When you jump in the water, is it 
freezing? Do you even notice it? What advice do you have for people that like to swim but don't like that cold water? Sometimes it's hard to get in cold waters, but then I just get in and start swimming, and I don't really care if the water's warm or cold because I start swimming and I don't notice the water temperature. Well, it's just like it's like Dory from uh, Finding Nemo. Just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> well, Mary uh, McLean Rock is our guest, champion swimmer with Special Olympics, and you, since you are a champion. Uh, have become a spokesperson for Special Olympics. What can you tell us about uh, your experience with Special Olympics? I love working with the staff at Special Olympics. They always help me with stuff. If I need to know what else to do, I go around and help them. And I always have a smile on my face every time I go in the office, and they're like, how is everything? I'm like, I'm really good at everything. How's your guys' day? Well, that's the one thing I've learned at this student leadership uh, uh, conference that we're at uh, about the Special Olympics and the Olympians like yourself and the athletes is that it just puts a smile on everybody's face. So for our listeners uh, checking out this broadcast, if you want to get involved, please Google Special Olympics. Learn how you can get your own high school in your own area to be a part of this student leadership uh, initiative to involve your high school with Special Olympics and, and people like Mary because it's a really fantastic thing. What is your single most favorite part? of being a Special Olympics athlete. I love how I sometimes on the weekends, my mom and I and dad, we go swimming as a family. and We love swimming as a family together. It's fun to swim with them. This is Jerry Kill, the head coach at the University of Minnesota, and you're listening to the Adam Rich Show. The Adam Rich Show pushes on from the west. I'm in Colorado in Estes Park in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, and we're going to categorize this part of the show as, uh, as education. We talk about a lot of social issues on this show, and we're going to focus on education, the importance of education, and more specifically, how much fun American history can be. I'm at the Stanley Hotel uh, in Estes Park, Colorado, and our guest is Jesse Freitas. And Jesse, uh, what is your title here at the Stanley Hotel? I am the guest services manager of the hotel, meaning that I run all the tours for the hotel. I'm also in charge of our archive room where we collect the artifacts from the history of the hotel. And then I'm also involved in a few other operations, including our Stanley Film Festival, our butterfly releases, and also our sculpture garden that we have here on property. And the Stanley Hotel, everybody listening to this broadcast knows what this hotel means to American pop culture. Uh, but you might not know it just by hearing the name the Stanley Hotel. So I'll let Jesse explain why this hotel is so important both in American history and in American pop culture. One of the big things about the Stanley Hotel that a lot of people don't know is the original grand opening was actually on July 4th, 1909. So the same day we celebrate our independence, this hotel was open, and they had a huge opening ceremony, um, debuted a party in our concert hall, which would have been originally called the Stanley Hall, and um, Casino It was another name that they used for that. And they had John Philip Sousa actually came and played here on property for this huge grand opening. Now, uh, the original owner, Freeland Oscar Stanley, he was actually originally from Kingsfield, Maine. Uh, he was born in 1849. He did have an identical twin brother named Francis Edgar as well, too. So you have these two identical twin brothers. They grew up back east. They were very innovative. Um, they were credited for um, several different companies. They uh, started the Stanley Dry Plate Company, which was originally or eventually sold to Eastman Kodak in the early 1900s. And they also were involved in the Stanley Motor Carriage Company. Now, you may wonder what is the Stanley Motor Carriage Company? That is the 
Stanley Steamer. Um, so the classic cars from back in the early, it was late 1800s, they, they started manufacturing these cars and went up into the 1917 is the time that they sold their interest in that company. Um, so the Stanley Steamer, a very popular car. We have them here at the hotel, and we feature those on our tours. Yeah, they're beautiful cars. And so the Stanley uh, brothers, they're industrial revolutionists, turn of the century, uh, very wealthy and patented with inventions and cars. And even today, some of what they did with photography is used. Uh, I learned this last night on the tour, by the way. I don't know everything in the world. I just know what I learned from, from your staff. Uh, and this hotel built in 1909, or grand opening in 09, it is a, I guess you'd call it a national historic site. Uh, a building. It's protected by our government. Is that the way this works? Correct. Yeah, we are part of the historic hotels of America. So anything we do on property here, we kind of have to run by and make sure we're within keeping that original feel to the hotel. So it is it is 104 years old now. Um, it's a great place. It has a lot of charm. Um, it also has, you know, paranormal activity and uh, haunting reports and all all sorts of things that happen here. And we have a lot of events, lots of weddings, um, it's just really a one-of-a-kind place to be, not only because of the Rocky Mountain National Park and Estes Park being right outside our front door here, but just the hotel itself. You don't really see architecture like this building. It's um, Georgian colonial revival style architecture, something very common with F.O. Stanley, our owner. He had homes back east and he kind of had the same architecture design in all the buildings. And his original home is actually still in Estes Park. It's a half mile from the hotel. It is a private residence, but he had a 50 or excuse me, 5,280 square foot home um, with five bedrooms and a workshop. Um, a couple of the other things he was known for, he's a very avid billiards fan, um, so he played a lot of billiards. He also was a bowler. So the casino, which is now the concert hall, actually originally had a two-lane bowling alley in the basement. So when his guests came up, they had all these different activities to do and things he enjoyed. The other thing he was very famous for that some people out there will know is Stanley violins. These are very, very rare antique violins. They're worth about $110,000 to $125,000 if you happen to have one. So check your attic. Um, but uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was well known. He started carving. He made his first full violin, carved his first one at the age of 16. Um, so I don't know about you, but when I was 16, I definitely no. wasn't carving violins. No, so he was, he was ahead of his time at every step of his life, um, always looking ahead. He had a ton to do with the development of Estes Park as the town and also what eventually became the Rocky Mountain National Park. He was part of a, a protective environmental protective um, club, basically, that met when he first got to Estes Park. Who were, they were concerned about the elk population and keeping space um, to the wildlife so that people didn't just come in and hunt out Estes Park. And that originally or eventually turned into this idea of Rocky Mountain National Park that President Wilson signed in in 1915. Um, so that anniversary is coming up too for the mm -hmm. National Park. Um, but he was uh, kind of a leader, if you will, and just kind of pushing these ideas through. He brought the first power plant out here. The Stanley Hotel was one of the first fully electrified um, hotels west of the Mississippi. So you're talking people came up to Estes Park on July 4th, and here was this lit up Stanley Hotel, you know, with power and all these amenities that no one is used to. And it's in this town up in the mountains. So even to this day, you come up here and you see the hotel on the hill and it, it's just like, it seems almost out of place, but it was just, 
he was ahead of the, the curve every step of the way in his whole life. Well, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's historical to give our listeners kind of a sense. It reminds me, uh, it's like the Titanic almost. You feel a little bit like you're on, uh, not the ship. Uh, if the Titanic were a hotel in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, that's kind of what it feels like walking around here. Interesting fact um, about that, the unsinkable Molly Brown, she did stay at the Stanley Hotel. So tons of history here, and it's just a gorgeous place. And uh, so now we're supporting the tourism here at Rocky Mountain uh, National Park, Estes, Colorado, the Stanley Hotel. And you touched on something earlier I want to bring back to the conversation. Our guest is Jesse Frey. He's with the um, guest services of the Stanley Hotel. And one of the reasons you may know this hotel, well, two, there's two reasons. One is, and the smaller reason, is because it's been featured on a lot of these paranormal uh, shows. I, my kids love them, the ghost hunters. They actually come here, they spend the night with their night vision goggles and their ghost hunting technology, and they search for ghosts here in this hotel. You've had actually uh, documented cases of ghosts in the hotel over the last hundred years. Correct. Yeah. The paranormal activity is something that we're very well known for. Um, ghost adventures, ghost hunters, they've both filmed shows here. Some of them are planning on coming back. We do paranormal conferences. We usually do two or three a year with some of these groups where they bring people up here for the sole purpose of learning about um, hunting for ghosts, um, learning about the paranormal. And then they actually will, you know, rent out huge spaces of the hotel just for ghost hunting from 8 p.m. to 1 a.m. We do here at the hotel, um, we try to run our Stanley Paranormal Investigations a few times a month, so it's something anyone can come pay for. It's $60. You can come and hunt with our Paranormal Investigation Team, the Stanley Paranormal Investigation Team, for five hours in our concert hall in one of our haunted rooms. What's the uh, freakiest thing that's happened to you? Uh, late night and your office lights are shaking I what you feel a hand on your shoulder it's a bony finger what what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you <laughs> well it's funny you ask that Adam because <laughs> one of the weirdest things was actually during the daytime um, I walk into the tour office one day and our doors are shut and they're latched at the top um, and I walk in and I go walk behind the desk and the two far doors to the office just blow open and we're not talking about just slowly creaking just we're talking bam and flew open and I looked at the other person in the office, and she looked at me, and we're just like, all right, time to get to work. <laughs> and just the other night, I actually took a video in the concert hall. We have something downstairs that's called Lucy's Room, because we've had recorded, you know, the voice comes through and says Lucy quite a bit, this ghost or spirit, um, if you will, down in this room. Now, this door is actually on this rise in the carpet, so it catches. Now, what we do is we push the door back, and we try to communicate with Lucy to shut this door. Well, she does it quite often. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who have been on a night ghost tour investigation here that can vouch for that. I actually have video footage the other night. I was I was playing around with it um, with a few people. We were trying to see if something would happen and had the video going. And I was talking, saying, Lucy, come on, come on. And in the video, there's such a thing called orbs. Now, uh -huh. orbs orbs catch in photographs. It's supposed to be catch, capturing that spirit in like just a moment, so that energy spirit. Um, and people come here, they take pictures all the time, they catch these orbs. Well, in this video, you actually see, you can see my hand kind of in part of my face, and you see this orb dart across the screen towards the door just in this brief flash, and then the door starts shutting, and then it shuts. Um, are, are you... Are you actually here in front of me right now? Are you a human being, or am I talking to a ghost right now? I'm starting to wonder. This place is pretty cool. I'm not really sure. We'll, we'll see if I fade away at the end of this. Jesse Freitas is our guest. We're at the Stanley Hotel, and we save the best for last. Uh, one of the reasons uh, a lot of people come here is to see the, I guess, the birthplace, the genesis of the book, The Shining. 
uh, Stephen King stayed in this hotel um, and was freaked out and got the idea for The Shining. And he wrote that book, uh, which we all know has gone on to be a great movie. And um, uh, he's even made his own version of it. It made for a TV six-hour miniseries. Uh, the Shining is a, such a huge part of American pop culture, and it started right here at the Stanley Hotel, which is independent of all the paranormal activity that's happening anyway. So, so maybe the ghost freaked Stephen King out enough, and that's what helped him write the, the book. That's correct, actually. Um, if you check his website, it, it, he talks a little bit about coming to the hotel. He came up here in late 1974, late September of 1974. He was trying to get over to Grand Lake, actually. And those of you who don't know the area, that's over Trail Ridge Road, which is the highest road in Colorado. So uh, it snowed, and you weren't going to get through. So him and his wife, Tabitha, came back down. They saw the Stanley Hotel and decided why not stop for the night. Now, this was at a point in time where the hotel still didn't have heat in the main building, so they didn't stay open over the winter, which is where this whole concept of the Torrance family coming up comes from. So they stop. They let him stay. They're just winding down the season, so there's not a lot of people here. Him and his wife, um, they have a meal in Pinion Billiard, and um, actually Mick Garris, the director of the miniseries, told me that Stephen King relayed to him that when he was having dinner in the pinion billiard room he looks into this mirror and he thought you know he saw something like something sparked his you know creativity if you Uh will and he turned away and he kind of his mind was going at that point now he of course i'm sure wandered around the hotel at night it's kind of unclear exactly what he saw but he does state that he woke up in kind of a panic in the middle of the night because he had this dream that this fire hose was chasing his son down the hall and these fire hoses are actually on the walls you can see the old uh, spout still in the hotel which is part of that historic element that we still keep mm-hmm. um he had that dream that was chasing him so he wakes up and he's kind of rattled and he sits he smokes a cigarette and he said he had the the bones of the book the novel the shining after that stay here so everything comes back here um the stanley kubrick for version of the film um was not shot here which some people are disappointed to f- find that out but the whole idea of the shining and jack torrance and the isolation the snow and the ghosts it all comes from our hotel here which is very exciting and i had heard uh, from a tour i took around the facility that he went to the bar stephen king went to the bar and the bartender's name was grady that is correct and from uh, and again i've just watched the shining so that makes sense to me but for our listeners that haven't seen the shining in a while grady was the name of the caretaker that ended up murdering his family a decade prior to when Jack Nicholson in the film got to the Overlook Hotel. So Grady, the names, the uh, it's really neat from an American history point of view and American pop culture point of view to be in this building with the paranormal activity, the history, and now with the genesis of The Shining happening here. It's pretty cool to be here. Jesse, we thank you so much for your time uh, and helping to promote education because I'm telling you kids, American history can be fun. If you're out and about, Look for those old hotels. They, they tell There's so many stories behind those walls. This is a great example, the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. And uh, real quick, I guess, what are the digital properties for our listeners to check out more about the Stanley Hotel? Yeah, the Stanley Hotel, we have a website, stanleyhotel.com. You can read more about um, doing weddings here, having stays here, um, booking your rooms, tours, all of that's online, including our other activities. We have Halloween events, Shining Balls. Fourth of July, we have a huge carnival coming up. Um, So there's things that we do annually that people can come up to the Stanley Hotel for. And whether you're into the paranormal or just the history, we have 104 years of rich history. We have the paranormal for people that like that. And other than that, we have outdoor activities 
trees and amazing views up here that people can just relax and enjoy themselves. Uh, Jesse Freitas from the Stanley Hotel Staff Services. We can't thank you enough for your time. Have a great uh, rest of your career here. I don't know if you're alive or I don't know if you're a ghost. If you're standing here in front of me, I don't care. I've had a great time at the Stanley Hotel. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Get socially technical with the Adam Ritz Show. Facebook, Adam Ritz Show. Twitter, at Adam Ritz. It's social, uh, technically. Kappa Alpha Order. Providence Council, it's a chance for gentlemen from all over the country to get together and talk about leadership and values and, and just what it takes to be a better man. Is that correct? Absolutely. And our first guest is, uh, uh, did you know that's why you were here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. You're like wandered into the wrong room. Well, you're like, what? I thought this was something else. No, okay. Uh, Jimmy Peacock, how are you, Jimmy? Good. We're going to do, uh, <laughs> you know, to quote uh, Bob Euchre in Major League, those broadcasting classes are really paying off for you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we go now uh, live to the news desk for uh, a news story from uh, Jimmy Peacock here at Wofford College. An Illinois high school teacher was arrested for smoking pot at a high school event. Okay, this is a recent story that will just make you scratch your head. It's unbelievable. Peter Malloy. He's smoking a one-hitter under the bleachers at a high school wrestling match. It's crazy. He's a high school teacher. And again, you know, socio-political uh, socio uh, legislation, should pot be legal? Should we tax it and get out of the debt? Now, you know, we're not here to talk about uh, legalization of marijuana, whether you think it should be. We're here to talk about bad decisions and consequences and who thinks it's a good idea when you're a high school teacher to go under the bleachers at a high school event, a wrestling match, and light up your one-hitter. Off-duty cops smelled the marijuana. He was arrested and has possibly one of the greatest mugshots I've ever seen. Look at that mugshot. Uh, and you know, this is gonna haunt him forever. Do you th just a uh, show of applause. Do you think anybody uh, is gonna hire him as a teacher from here on forward? No. Uh, is he gonna have some uncomfortable conversations in his next job interview wherever he wants to go work? Absolutely. The Adam Ritz Show is recorded live, both in studio and across the country. For information on this broadcast, including how to hear this show on a station in your city, visit adamritzshow.com.